I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, host, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That was verse 12, so you know we're on the bulletin. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, uh, so thankful to be uh, here and worshiping again with your people at Christ Church. Uh, we thank you for this family that you have formed here. And Lord, we long to hear from you, to hear from your word. And so we pray you'd send your Holy Spirit to apply these words to our community and that our life together would bring honor to your name and um, that you would uh, deepen our love for you, our, deepen our hope in the gospel this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I do, I just want to begin by uh, saying thank you so much as a congregation for letting our family have a, a summer sabbatical. I really think I could say it was probably the best summer of my life, and so it was a real gift. We we're deeply humbled um, that you would care for us uh, and care for our children, and it was a summer that was really a great combination of a lot of solitude and time of reflection and reading and prayer and being with the Lord and, you know, adventures with the children, and uh, I, I couldn't, couldn't have asked for more, so I just want to, from our whole family, we want to say uh, thank you so much. And I've had a number of you ask, um, so, you know, what happened over the summer? Uh, what did, what was, you know, what was going on, on in your sabbatical? And are we going to get an update? And so I thought I'd just take this opportunity to just, at first, just give you a brief kind of what did we do. Um, I won't spend too, too much time on that, but a few kind of lessons and stories that happened. And then I want to look at this text from Ephesians 4 and talk about just a couple of the I think the deep things that I felt like the Lord was saying to me about being a pastor and about, about our church and just share some of those with you, share some of the things um, that, I, that I read. So first, I'm just going to give you a little overview of what our summer looked like. Some of you might not be interested in that, some of you will be, so I'm just, I'm, I'll try to make it brief. But the, uh, the first thing was we, we, had a, the, we began our sabbatical with a month in uh, Bear Lake, Idaho, which is on the border of Idaho and Utah, so it was the southeast corner, and we had a month there, and we really had this great schedule where um, Shannon would hang out with the kids all morning, so from about 7 to noon or 1, 
um, I'd just get the opportunity to just spend two or three hours just reading the Bible and praying in long times with the Lord and then get another few hours to read uh, various books I was reading. Um, I started off reading a, a book by Henry Now, or a couple of books by Henry Now, and he's a Catholic priest who, uh, he has some writings on prayer and contemplation, and that really kind of set the tone for me on the sabbatical. And I uh, also read a, a novel called Gilead. I know many of you have read Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. It's, a, it's, it's about a 70-year-old pastor who's writing, he has a young son, he's like five, and he's writing to him. And John Ames is his name. He's, is my goal in life is to become John Ames. And so he's, he's just this humble, gentle, sweet, loves God's word, loves theology. And so my goal is to become John Ames. So I read Gilead again. And then, uh, and then also I read a book by G.K. Chesterton, which is a, a, it was a Catholic social theory book from, I think, the 1920s. It's all about, like, buying local and supporting local shops and stuff. You know, it could have been a Bellingham book, you know, but it was written 100 years ago. So it was pretty interesting. And so then after these mornings of just kind of, of reading and reflection, journaling, prayer, um, we'd have time together as a, as a family to play tennis and basketball and, and go hiking. And we got to go up to uh, uh, the Tetons and the Yellowstone. And, and some of you know uh, Sean Kaler who, in our church who's from Jackson. So he got us all paddle boards. We went paddle boarding at Spring Lake, which is right at the base of the Tetons. It was really majestical, if you know that word. Um, it was majestical. And, um, and so, uh, we, so then after a month, uh, we came back to Bellingham. We had a week in Bellingham. And then uh, I went on a, a backpacking trip with Paul Fredette. Paul Fredette's one of our elders here, to Nootka Island, which is on the coast of Vancouver Island. And as the trip was approaching, Shannon started searching Nootka Island on the internet. And it's actually a really remote place. And she's finding out, you know, this is the highest bear population in North America. And she, she said, I could share this with you, but, you know, she was convinced I was going to die on this, on this trip. And so the night came to leave, and literally, she is in tears. This is our final conversation. And I'm thinking, and she's got the kids in bed with her crying, and I'm thinking, i got to go. He's waiting for me, and I'm just going to leave you. But that morning, we had gone to a friend's church uh, down in Mount Vernon. He was a pastor there, and I was talking to him, and he, said, he told me this quote. He says, you know, uh, God has appointed the day of your death. And so you are immortal every day of your life except for the day you die. And so I was telling her, I was like, babe, the pastor told me I am immortal every day of my life until the day I die. And she's like, today's the day. I think today's the day. And so she's crying. And I said, we, so we said our farewells and, um, and I left. And, um, and so Paul and I, you know, we went to this island. Everything that we had read said you want to leave seven to nine days to do this hike. And so we, we played it safe. We gave ourselves three days to do it. And actually, this was, it was really one of the hardest physical things I've, I've ever done in my life. But we, we saw a couple bears. We had a pack of wolves go by our camp one morning. And, um, and uh, we, we survived. And we were immortal for those three days, and that felt pretty good. And so I came home to my family's shining immortal being, and and so we'll see if that if I go on another one of those. So so that was that was kind of an adventure. After that, we we came home and we had another road trip as a family. We went down to Bend, had a few great days down in Bend, Oregon, and then visited my brother in Alameda. We had a on our drive back, our car broke down four times in one day, which the kids loved that. They said that was the highlight, you know, sitting on the sitting on the side of the highway, and then we then we had another kind of two week stretch here in in Be Bellingham and on the Olympic Peninsula where we had that routine again of 
where I could spend the morning reading and in prayer and Shane would be with the kids and we'd spend the afternoon uh, as, as a family. And just a few more books I read, Till We Have Faces, a favorite book of mine by C.S. Lewis. I, I still don't know what it means. I think I've read it like four times, but I, just, I love it. And uh, John Frames, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. And then I read St. Benedict's Rule. So St. Benedict started a you know, monastic movement in, I think it's the sixth century. And uh, so, so I read that, and then, um, and then I got to go uh, away with two other pastors for a week who are also on sabbatical. And so we uh, went up to Republic, Washington. I don't know if any of you have heard of Republic, Tenasket. It's, it's up in, in that region. And uh, it was just really good to be with these guys. One of the guys is uh, 20 years older than I am. The other guy's 10 years older than I am. And, and so we just read and then go on walks and talk about ministry and theology and life. And then we make dinner together. And, um, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about my time with them as we look at Ephesians. And then uh, lastly, uh, Shannon and I just had a week, the two of us. We were planning to go to Hawaii. Many of you know that. And uh, I booked the tickets to fly out of Vancouver but didn't get passports for us because it's now an international flight. We had passport cards, so anyways, we had to cancel it. But we still had a great, great week, just the two of us. We went out to Birch Bay and up to Park Butte. And so so that was, it was summer. It was just did a lot of things, and so thank you so much. And um, it was an enormous blessing, but uh, definitely we're excited to be back here. Um, you know, our kids were saying over and over, when are we going to go back to our church? When are we going to go back to our church? So that's a real blessing as a pastor to have your kids say they want to be here and so I just want you to know you've loved our children um, really profoundly and so so thank you so much and so um, so that's a little bit what we did but I want to just take a little time this morning to talk about some of the thoughts or insights that I felt were most deeply impressed on me uh, uh, during this time and probably to summarize and this may not be too profound of a thought but the big thought for me was that Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, and maybe in parentheses, and I'm not, <laughs> is, the, is what goes with that. Um, which is something that I've, I've always known, I've always said, but uh, it took on some deeper meaning for me this summer. And you can see in this, uh, that idea is present in this passage that I just read to you. If you look at verse 15 there, it's talking about the life of the church. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so that's, that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. And some of you may ask, you know, what do my reflections about being a pastor have to do with you? Can you relate to that? I think that, well, you know, first of all, you sent me on a sabbatical. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about what God was saying to me. But I think a lot of, a lot of these insights really relate to all of us and relate to the nature and character of our community together. And so, um, so in particular, I want to just highlight two things about what it means that Jesus is the head of the church. So first, Jesus is the head of the church, so pastors need to speak God's word honestly. That was a thought. And the second one is that pastors need to connect Jesus' people to each other. This is what it means to be a pastor, is, that, is to speak God's word honestly and then connect Jesus' people to each other. So I want to look at this text and just highlight this passage I just read. You have so much in it, and we're not going to talk about all of it. I'm just going to highlight a couple things this morning. So first thought from sabbatical. Pastors need to speak Jesus' words honestly. And this passage 
highlights the, the importance of teachers in the church that um, uh, you'll notice. Uh, so verse 8, well, you, you don't have it in front of you. Let me read it to you again. Verse 8 starts by saying, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, you might hear that verse be like, what is that talking about, all this ascending and descending? Well, what is it? It's just a summary of the gospel, the central Christian message that Jesus, the Son of God, has been eternal with God for all, before the, earth, you know, the universe began. He descended, became a man like us, and then became a servant, and then he died on this cross. And the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus went way, way down below us, and then he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, he's made the king of the universe by God, and he's, you know, all, all things are going to be given to him. And so this is a great picture of the gospel. And then it says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so this is amazing, but you know, one of the main ways that Jesus exercises his authority as the head of our community, the leader of our community, is through teaching, it's through the teaching of the word. And, uh, and he calls people to teach the word and to, to be stewards of his word. Now, if you've been at Christ Church for a while, you might think, you know, that's nothing new. We're a church that teaches the Bible. We always, every Sunday, we teach through the Bible. But um, next week, I'm going to be beginning a new series on the book of Exodus. And we're going to spend seven months going through the first 18 chapters of, of Exodus. And so this summer, I was reading through Exodus, kind of getting prepared for it. And I was chapter after chapter, I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to say about any of these chapters. Was this a good idea? How am I going to make this relevant to our community you know you got four chapters of plagues and you know this week's on frogs next you know next week's on hail you know and and, and I, I and so I was a little stressed about this and of course Henry Nowen at the beginning of the summer had told said in his book being a pastor is not about being relevant when you are being relevant to people you're just telling them things they already believe they already think what good is that <laughs> And so uh, if you're trying to be relevant, you're just trying to become popular. That's not what it means to be a servant of Jesus. Our job is to speak Jesus' words, God's words from his word, honestly. And then I went away with these two pastors up to Republic for the week. And the pastor is 20 years older. You know, he was saying the whole week, he said, you know, I feel like over the last 10 years I've been getting kind of soft. I'm always preaching about grace. Everyone wants to hear about grace all the time so that they feel good about themselves. And I feel like I've lost some of my edge. There's some passages in the Bible that have some edge to them. And I, I feel like I don't say those anymore. He says, he's always saying to me, your generation is always trying to make people feel good. And I'm thinking, he's talking to me. You know, <laughs> he's talking about, I know you're talking about me. And I don't, I don't know if he is. But, you know, listening, um, hearing that over and over again all week was really good for me from an older pastor. And uh, to face the question, are we willing to face honestly what God's word says? And we're a church that desires to, you know, we want to bring in our neighbors. We want to speak in a way so that, you know, a non-Christian or someone who's not like us comes into our church and says, hey, I know what you're talking about. I can connect with this. We want that because we love people. 
and we want to connect with our neighbors. But going through a book like Exodus is about being honest and candid about this is who God says he is. And he's strange sometimes. Of course he's strange. Did you expect, (laughs) did we expect that God wasn't going to be strange and say weird things and things that we didn't expect? Of course he will. If he didn't do that, he would not be the true God. He'd be just like us. And so we have to say, this is what our God is saying about himself and face it honestly. And so you can see that emphasis in this passage. Verse 14, look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What Paul is saying here is that every generation has certain winds that blow through it of certain doctrines. And they're, they're doctrines we're not even aware of because we all share them. We all just assume them. It's like this is obviously true. And so and we don't even know that we, that we believe them. This is just the air that we breathe. And, uh, you know, another book that I, I read over the summer was uh, C.S. Lewis's God in the Dock, which is a collection of essays um, that he wrote on ethics and theology. And one of the essays is called On Reading Old Books. And Lewis says, for every three new books you read, at least you should read one old book. And uh, the reason is because all the new books share certain assumptions that no one even knows that they're assuming. And until you have a voice from outside this generation, outside of this culture, which only old books can give you that perspective, you'll become aware of the assumptions that, that, that we all share. And so this is, what, uh, this is what Lewis says. Every age has its own outlook. It is specially good at seeing certain truths and specially liable to make certain mistakes. We all, therefore, need the books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period. And that means old books. We need a strange and alien voice from outside to show us what our blind spots are. And, of course, this supremely applies to the Bible. The Bible is the old book par excellence. It's like the old book. And um, it's unchanging and it's always fresh. It's always full of life. And it is the word of God. Okay, so that was big charge to me this summer. Jesus is at the head of the church. We are stewards of his word. And so we have to be honest about what it says, candid about what it says. And it's refreshing to hear that alien voice in our culture. Okay, so that was, that was an important, important thought. Second insight, maybe hit me at a deeper level than that first one, is that pastors need to connect Jesus' people to each other, okay? So pastors need to speak Jesus' word honestly, but also pastors, because Jesus is the head of the church, we need to connect Jesus' people to each other. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, when we say something, Jesus is the head of the church, what we're saying is he's in charge. This is, we're following his plan. This is his kingdom. We obey his rules the words that he says, and we do what, what he says. So this is his church, right? And um, that's something I've often said in this church, that Jesus is the head. But, you know, I'm a, uh, I was a church planner, and uh, I was the first pastor of this church. And before I was uh, a pastor, I went to all these conferences to learn about church planning. How do you start a church? And everything you hear all the time is, okay, well, if you're going to start a church, you've got to be a visionary. You've got to see the vision. You've got to cast the vision, inspire people. You've got to gather people all together and get them all together and get them all excited. And, you know, 
I understand we can say over and over, Jesus is the head of the church. I'm not. But functionally, that's starting to sound like it's not. It could maybe not be Jesus' vision. It could be the pastor's vision that, that we're doing. And, um, and I think there's some truth in what those uh, conferences were saying. But in that first, uh, first month in Idaho, um, there were two things that kind of changed that picture of being a pastor for me. The first was a movie that I watched called Of Gods and Men. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a very beautiful movie. It's won some awards, uh, you know, the Grand Prix or, or something like that. It's very, very well done. It's a true story about these monks in Algeria uh, in the 90s that were living among a largely uh, Muslim population, and they really served that community. They lived very harmoniously with these Muslims. And it really, this, this, the movie documents kind of their monastic life of prayer and work and service to the community. And it's very beautiful. And it, um, what the story is about is that there were some uh, Islamic extremists who had come into this town who were killing people. And so the government comes to this monastery and says to the leader, you know, this is not a safe place. Do you want us to bring the military in to protect the monastery? And the lead monk says, absolutely not. That's... That is against our vows, you know, to have guns in, in the monastery. We refuse to do that. And then the next scene goes to all the monks are sitting around a table, and they have these great meetings that they have where they talk about the monastery and what's happening. And so he gives them this update, and all of them say, you can't make that decision. That may be true that our vows say that we can't have the military come, but this is a decision we have to make together. And, uh, and so the leader had taken upon himself to say, I just make these decisions. So the whole movie is about all these monks, how the Lord individually works in their lives, where they feel called to stay at the monastery and to continue to serve this community, even when it's violent, and, and to make that decision together. It was really powerful to me of imagining our life together. And right alongside that, I was reading another book. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm telling you all these books. This is what my sabbatical was full of, though. And um, I was reading another book called Calvin's Company of Pastors, which is kind of an academic study of Geneva in the 16th century. Um, after the Reformation, when John Calvin kind of was leading the Reformation to Geneva, and it's the story of the 30 pastors who pastored in the city of Geneva and then in the surrounding countryside. And it's about their, their life together. It's a really fascinating study. And, um, and uh, in one of the passages, uh, it, he talks about Calvin's view of what it means to be a pastor. And he talks about this, Calvin's uh, commentary on Ephesians 4, this passage I just read. And Calvin says, you know, because one of the questions that I, has always been raised for me is to say, okay, I'm not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the body. What part of the body am I? You know, if you hear from me and Daniel every week, and we, there is some unique role that we play, what is it? And Calvin pointed it out from this passage, and he says it's in verse 16. Verse 16 tells us what role it is. Look at what it says. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Calvin says the joints. Those are the pastors. <laughs> Actually, if you look earlier in the passage, it's talking about pastors early, and then he's pointing out the joints. He say, oh, I'm a joint. I'm a ligament. 
and that, you know, that may not be profound for you, but that is, was immensely helpful for me because you asked the question, well, what do joints and ligaments do? Well, this is, what, this is what Paul says. Look again at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Is it joining and holding together? We are all parts of a body that God has given uh, and he's given each one of us grace. Each of us have a grace that's been given to serve one another, to serve our community. And so the job, Daniel's job, my job, is to know that grace in your life. To know where it is. Know that, see how God has worked in your life. To know you, to see it, and then to link it to each other. And the people who say, oh, you're, you know, you're like that. Oh, I get to know you. You need to be tied with this person because, you know, you guys are parts of the body that need to go together and work together. Or this is someone that you could serve or someone that could help you. And this tying together of the body. And I thought, wow, that is really a um, profound picture. Um, which is to say that pastors need to connect Jesus' people to each other. We are joints or ligaments. And what this passage is saying is that, um, that the important ministry that will happen in Christ's church is not primarily ministry that pastors will do, but that we will all do as a congregation. And which is, you know, really very different than how most pastors think when we become pastors. Um, you know, I'm sorry to share this with you. I'm... Uh, I, I think I became a pastor because I love the Lord. I love his word. I love the church. I think that's true. I also, there were great pastors that I wanted to be like. You want to be great. And that's the goal is to become great. And actually, okay, the last, last illustration from my sabbatical that really spoke to me is another film, Cars 3. <laughs> my brother works for Pixar. We always go see Pixar movies in the theater. And Cars 3, if you've ever seen Cars, Cars is, is about a world of talking cars, and the main character is Lightning McQueen, he's a race car. And Cars 3 is about Lightning McQueen getting old, and he can't keep up with the young cars anymore. And he's trying, he's trying, I'm going to make myself young, I'm going to work harder, and he just can't do it. And there's this great scene where he's talking to an older car, and uh, the older car is telling about Lightning McQueen's coach, Doc Hudson. And Doc Hudson was also this stellar racer. He beat everyone. He had this terrible crash that ended his career, and he became deeply depressed. And he, he you know, secluded himself, and he left, and he, you know, left civilization. No one knew where he was. And then this old car said, but then he came alive again. And he no longer had newspaper prints of his races on the wall anymore. This, the other car says this to Lightning McQueen, but he had newspaper prints of your races because he became Lightning McQueen's coach. And the whole me message of Cars 3 is that there is a deeper joy in making other people great than becoming great yourself. Like, that's the great lesson of coaching. That's the beauty of coaching, is becoming a coach, is you're not making yourself great, you're making other people great, investing in them, and you find deeper joy when they succeed. And I think that's something of what Jesus imagines our life together as a church to be. There's deep joy in making other people great. Esteem one another better than yourselves. Outdo one another in showing honor. And why is that the way the nature of our church is to make other people great? Is because this is who our Lord is. You know that whole weird passage about he descended and he, in, uh, and he ascended? What's the whole descent? He made himself lower than us. 
He became our servants. Why? In some sense, to make us great. He's going to glorify us. He's going to bring us into the, the fellowship uh, you know, the, the, of the Godhead and uh, partakers of, of, of God's life. And he's going to transform our lives because that is what Jesus does. And so that becomes the hallmark of our life together. And so these are great lessons for me while I was off on sabbatical. And, you know, it's been great news. To, I, I feel like some of that has been the same lesson that the church as a whole has been experiencing while I've been gone. You know, I, um, I heard a lot about uh, just people who stepped up and, and, you know, organized, you know, get-togethers at the park. And, you know, here we have a whole... <laughs> Um, event happening for our neighborhood that I had no part in. And um, so this shared leadership, shared ministry of the body of Christ, uh, that, was, that was the picture that Jesus had for me. And I'm excited that for the Spirit to teach us more deeply about this in the year ahead. So let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this vision that Jesus is the head of the church and that you have bound us together as a body. You've poured your grace upon us so that we may have something to give to each other and to give to you. Help us to see that grace in each other, to name it, to encourage it, to build one another up so you might be honored in our midst. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus descended so that he might ascend and bring us with him in his ascent. What hope and joy in Christ's name.